0: From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the cataract time machine.
1: You can correct aberrations such as myopia, hyperopia, astigmatism. You can also correct higher-order aberrations.
0: First this. As Seen From Here is committed to medical education devoid of industry bias. Dr. Chayat directs and has equity interest in Vision. As Seen From Here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource flattening the ophthalmic world. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. I love my TiVo. It's not just the time shifting or the ability to watch TV on my iPhone. No. The greatest feature for me is that little button that instantly rewinds the program eight seconds. One button instant rewind. I wish my FACO unit had a button like that. Imagine this, you see a patient post-op week one assuring her that her vision would clear only to discover that her refraction is minus 150, or worse, plus 150. Sure, you review your lens calculations wouldn't that little instant rewind button come in handy? Arturo Chayette must have thought so because his recent work has been on an intraocular lens that's the next best thing to instant rewind. I'll let him explain. Arturo, welcome to A Scene From Here. What is the LAL lens?
1: The LAL lens stands for the Light Adjustable Lens. It's made by a company called Calhoun Vision, which headquarters are in Pasadena, California. The reason for that was that the company wanted to be close to Caltech, where the inventor of technology works, which is Professor uh, Robert Groves, who happens to be the uh, awardee for the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2005. It was co-invented, by Dan Schwartz, the uh, director of the retina service at UCSF, University of California, San Francisco. The idea was originated by Dan, being a retina specialist, he was seeing a lot of patients coming to to his clinic, and besides the retina problems, they were usually uh, wearing glasses, and he says that patients were not that happy with that after cataract surgery. So he started to think a way to, you know, ensure that patients may end up being hematropic after cataract surgery. So he figured out that the best way would be to, you know, to adjust the power of the intraocular lens once uh, it's been implanted. He started his own, you know, research of, possibilities and all the ways when you know, where, where, I mean, he was always directed to Professor Grob because he was doing a lot of research, you know, with uh, different materials and Professor Grob thought that, you know, uh, a silicon IOL could be a change, you know, the shape of the lens using, you know, some of his methodologies and that's how, you know, the idea started. And so they founded Calhoun Vision. And the, the word Calhoun stands for the street where Dan lives in San Francisco, which is Calhoun ah. Street.
0: Arturo, we're going to be talking about macromers. What is a macromer and how is it different from a monomer?
1: Okay, so this, this is how I will answer your question. A macromer is similar to a monomer in that it contains two ends that are po- polymerizable. However, macromers have a bigger mass than typical monomers.
0: How does this lens work? H- how is it possible to adjust the power of a lens once it's already in the eye?
1: The lens is made of a um, biocompatible silicone that at the same time is photosensitive. So the macromers in the lens will react to the uh, to the light which is being delivered by the uh, digital delivery system. It's a UV light, 360 in the in the range of 360 how you, how you say nanometers. So that light, when it's shining into the intraocular lens, you will move the macromers. So you can move them from the periphery towards the center. And by doing that, what you you are doing is you're increasing the power of the lens. Therefore, you are correcting hyperopia.
0: Let's see if I have this. My understanding of the way that the lens works is that the laser polymerizes the macromers, makes them turn into polymers. And then the remaining macromers, those that have not been exposed, follow a concentration gradient, and thereby kind of reshape the intraocular lens.
1: That is correct. That is absolutely right. Yes.
0: What sort of residual errors can be corrected? Can higher order aberrations, for example, be corrected?
1: Yes, definitely. Yes, absolutely. You can correct the typical uh, you know, aberrations such as myopia, hyperopia, astigmatism, and then you can also correct uh, higher order aberrations. Now, that has been done in vitro. We have not purposely done in vivo.
0: Arturo, what is lock-in? Yeah, the lock-in is um, the
1: final, let's say, cure of the lens. Like, In other words, we will use... The, you know, we will shine light in a more uniform way to the lens to consume all the macromers. By doing that, the lens now, it becomes a regular lens that will not change, you know, by being exposed to the light, to any kind of light.
0: Arturo, can I get you to describe the design of your study?
1: First of all, we requested permit from the uh, Minister of Health in Mexico, and then we got approved by our uh, RBI, how you say? The...
0: the Institutional Review Board. In the U.S. we call it the IRB.
1: The IRB, correct. Then uh, under you know, those guidelines, we uh, just rec- you know, requested patients who wanted to participate in the study who had cataracts You know, didn't have any of the exclusion criteria such as uh, macular degeneration, glaucoma, advanced diabetic retinopathy, UBI, etc., and patients who uh, had less than one diopter of astigmatism. So then, all these patients, we did intraocular lens calculations either using a uh, a scan or using a IOL master, and we uh, aim for the, re- I mean, for patients to be after the procedure to be minus one, between minus, I think minus a half and minus two.
0: Tell me, why did you aim for a myopic result?
1: Well, we actually uh, randomly were aiming for both myopia and hyperopia, but In order to uh, report the results, we decided to divide the groups into myopic and hyperopic. So uh, even though it was a prospective study, uh, we were uh, doing both myopic and hyperopic corrections.
0: How far postoperatively were the corrections made? How far postoperatively were the light adjustments performed?
1: Yes, um, it Usually, for the purpose of the study, was two weeks after the procedure. Around two weeks after the procedure.
0: Relative to that light adjustment, when was the lock-in performed?
1: Yeah, for purposes of the study, it was done a week after the adjustment.
0: Arturo, why is it that you wait for a week between the light adjustment and the lock-in?
1: It was a... Uh, chosen just to make sure that everything was stable, that we had, you know, good refractions, and just, to, just to, to understand better what was uh, happening. But in real life, you will be able to do the adjustment whenever you feel you have a stable refraction and a stable uh, wound, architect healing, and you know, stable conditions after cataract surgery. And then you can do the locking as soon as you feel you have a stable refraction in the patient or as soon as you achieve your desired correction, let's say a
0: What sort of refractive errors were corrected in this study? It was
1: only myopic
0: patients. How long does the typical UV light adjustment take? And and I'm interested both in how long the light adjustment takes, and how long the lock-in treatment takes.
1: For the myopic corrections, it's around two minutes, and for the lock-in, it's about 90 seconds.
0: Arturo, what were your results?
1: Yeah, 93% of the eyes were within a quarter of diopter of the intended correction, and all the eyes, 100%, were within a half diopter of the intended
0: correction. Was that result stable over the study period? Yeah, that is correct, yeah. Were any adverse events observed?
1: I don't remember in this particular study. I I believe there were no adverse effects. Uh, But if you want, I can talk to you about some adverse effects we have seen.
0: Please, that would be great.
1: So we didn't see any adverse effects in this study, but. Previously, uh, we had a patient very early on uh, who showed erythropsia, which is seeing red.
0: Erythropsia? I've never heard that word. I mean, of course, it makes sense. I've, I've never heard it before.
1: It comes from erythros, erythros, which means red.
0: Are there any special precautions that patients had to take between the time of surgery and lock-in to prevent premature polymerization of the intraocular lens?
1: They don't need to, to stay out of the zone. They just need to wear UV protective uh, eyewear. And uh, the, this is a specific eyewear that is being given by, by the company to the patients. So they have to wear it at all times, even in indoors.
0: Let me ask you this. Since I picture the intraocular lens before lock-in as having these sort of free-flowing macromers, if the surface of the lens is violated before lock-in, can the macromers leak out? No, they don't leak
1: out, but they move. They move within the lens, creating what we call zones. So you can can see a zone, which will be like, usually it's actually like a bull's eye kind of thing. And usually it's just, it's circumscribed by the pupil because that's actually the only light that will hit the lens.
0: Can the lens be used for astigmatism? And if so, how high a torque correction is achievable?
1: Yeah, we have tried up to two diopters. Uh, So effectively we have treated two diopters of astigmatism at the spectacle
0: level. Huh, at the spectacle plane, so that's quite a bit of cylinder. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. I think it's so far right now it's competitive with what used to be available with the toric lens from Alcon. I think they are just coming up with with a three diopter cor- and three point five diopter correction at, at the spectacle.
0: If one of these patients develops an opacity of the posterior capsule, can YAG capsulotomy be performed on a patient with this type of lens?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you wait until you have done all your treatments and all your, you know, adjustments and lockings and a, a, as soon as you want, you can do it. And it, it won't affect any component of the lens or the visual clarity of the lens. So yeah, no problems.
0: Outside of the context of this study, are you using this lens in your own practice?
1: Well, we are just about to, we, we just conducted uh, the, sec, the, sec, the, we just did recently this, this month actually 17 eyes for uh, the uh, second phase of the U.S. FDA trials, and we are very, very close to uh, have this lens available in Mexico, but so far it's not yet approved for commercial use.
0: Arturo, is there anything you'd like to add?
1: Well, sure, yeah. I think this is, uh, in my opinion, the most exciting technology in cataract and refractive lens exchange surgery. Uh, We've seen this lens to be uh, very capable of providing patients with emetropia, correction of myopia, stigmatism, hyperopia, and... uh, We also have seen, very interesting, that with this lens, we are capable of creating a very nice multifocal effect because we are not leaving any uh, marks in the lens or any rings. uh, So far, in the patients that were treated for multifocality uh, uh, have not been reporting any halos or nighttime symptoms. So it looks very encouraging. For the treatment of, I mean, for the correction, uh, concomitant, you know, approach for presbyopia to by 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 using this lens in a multifocal way.
0: Arturo Chayet, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Josh. Arturo Chayet is director of CODET Aris Laser Vision Institute in Tijuana, Mexico, and past president of the Mexican Society of Refractive Surgery. His paper. Correction of myopia after cataract surgery with a light adjustable lens appears in the August 2009 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Chayette or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.